went to the airport to pick up my cousin. Uh, and while we were waiting for her outside of security, we witnessed one of the, the saddest things I've actually ever seen. And it, it impacted me greatly. We were standing there and a girl, a uh, young girl, uh, probably 18, 19 years old, comes out of security and she sees an older gentleman standing there. I don't know if it was her grandpa or, or maybe an older dad, something like that. And she runs to him and, and she's smiling and he's smiling and they embrace and they're hugging. And it's pure joy. Uh, there is pure joy. And the joy was, was so intense that it was something that both Jared and, Jared and I started to pay attention to. You know, lots of people are hugging each other coming out of the airport. But something was different about this. It looked like uh, a, a long-lost reunion. You've seen those shows before, right? And, and so our eyes were kind of drawn to the situation. We weren't even talking to each other. We were just staring at these people. And, uh, and all of a sudden... They, they unembrace, and the older gentleman says something quietly to the girl. And the look on her face goes from one of pure joy to one of pure horror. And, her, and the tears start to flow from her face. And no longer are they smiling, but the tears are flowing from both of their eyes. And they again embrace, and they hold each other. And we have no idea what was said that day, but it was pretty impactful. And what made it so impactful was not just the joy or the sadness, because we've seen both of those things. It was really the joy that turned to sadness that, that makes it one of those moments that, that we still talk about sometimes. Whenever me and Jared are at the airport together, we, we say, do you remember that one time? And, and both of us, of course, say yes. And so when you look at that moment, you see that it was a moment that stands out in my memory because of the contrast between the joy and the sadness. And it's not so different from what happened uh, in A.D. 30 when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a day that we celebrate today called Palm Sunday. Jesus enters into Jerusalem to much fanfare and celebration and excitement and the people think that their king is coming to save them. And we're going to talk more about that story in a minute, but, but we have to jump ahead to Good Friday, another day that we will celebrate this week on a week that the church calls, calls, uh, Passion Week. And, and if you jump to Good Friday, you see that, that those same people, those same people are sad and they're turning their backs on Jesus because things didn't go the way that they wanted them to go. And it seems like the joy turns into gloom rather quickly. Now, you'd think that Jesus' disciples of all people would have understood the purpose of Jesus' life. Because Jesus had been telling them for almost all of his ministry, all of the time that he spent with these people, he's been saying to them, I am going to have to go and die at the hands of sinners to save people. But the disciples don't even get it. They're caught up in the moment, as we'll see in a second, of, of Palm Sunday. They're excited. Jesus enters into Jerusalem to all this fanfare and this celebration, and they're caught up in it. And then we see, just a few days later, they're distraught and sad, and they think that their, their king has not been able to save them. In fact, if you were to look in the book of Luke, chapter 24, after Jesus has died and resurrected, getting way ahead of us now, all the way to Easter already, uh, you would see a conversation that Jesus has with his two disciples, but they don't know that it's Jesus they're talking to. In verses 19 through 21, we see, He was a prophet, speaking of Jesus, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
You notice that? Even these disciples, these guys who had hung out with Jesus, thought that their hope had been crushed. The hope that we had on Palm Sunday when we were celebrating is now gone. We thought he was coming in here to take over, to start to rule our country, to remove the Roman rule that was oppressing us, and to set things right. But that hope is now banished. You see, the people at the time of Jesus were living under Roman oppression. The Romans had taken over the land that God had given to the Israelite people that was rightfully theirs. And now they were living and they were, they were being ruled with an iron fist, really, by this Roman government. And so they thought that their Messiah, their King, their Savior was going to come and He was going to start this military coup and He was going to kick the Romans out of the land that God had given to them. The disciples bought into this, this really lie. They believed the same thing. And so, when Jesus goes to that cross and dies, the hope for them is gone. It's not different from that scene in the airports, right? The disciples and all of Jesus' people look and they're excited, they're, they're pumped, He's coming, He's going to do it. And then, a few days later, when Jesus dies, there's a contrast. Because all of a sudden, they're weeping and they're sad. They're crushed and their hopes are crushed. But when you look at the story of Palm Sunday, what you see is that this wasn't the way that Jesus saw it. Jesus didn't see the Palm Sunday moment as a celebration and the Good Friday service that that we have. And he didn't see them as two different things. He didn't see them as, as celebratory and sad. He saw them as all part of the same thing. And he would have included the resurrection in that too. And so as we look at this story today, what we're going to see is that while we oftentimes, even looking back at the story, make a big separation in our mind, right? Here is Jesus the King who is celebrated on Palm Sunday. And here is Jesus the Savior who died at the hands of sinners. And here is Jesus the Resurrected that we can celebrate again. Jesus looks at this event and He is always the same person. And He always has the same mission. And they're all wrapped up together. So we'll start the, the story in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, if you haven't uh, found that yet. And I'll begin reading there. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, the first three verses don't need too much of an explanation, but uh, if you're like me, then you like the story of history and not just the facts of history. And so let me just give you a little bit that will help you understand the situation and what's going on around Jesus at this time. Jesus is nearing the end of his life, and he understands that. He knows that, that the end is coming soon. And so he has begun to do things uh, at a higher degree than he has done them before. He has upped the ante on his teaching. He is now not just kind of dancing around the subject of his death, but he is making clear to his disciples, I need to go die for the sins of the world. On top of that, while he's been healing for almost three years, he starts to heal more and more. And the healings are coming more rapidly as you read the gospel stories. And because of those two things, the religious leaders of the time are starting to hate Jesus more and more. All of this kind of hits ahead in a story about a guy named Lazarus who dies, and then Jesus 
has the audacity to bring him back to life. And so you can see what this does. The people who like Jesus or were thinking about liking Jesus are in an uproar of excitement. They are thrilled. They think the Messiah has come. There is really pandemonium. The, the whole situation has gone viral, to put it in our internet terms today, right? But on the other side, the religious leaders are looking at Jesus and they're saying, we have to do something about this. His popularity has grown. We aren't getting anything done. And they say in one of the Gospels, what are we accomplishing? Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The Pharisees are looking and the other religious leaders are saying, if this guy keeps gaining in popularity, then we're going to lose our power. And so they begin to plot very seriously how to kill him. They had entertained that idea before. They had thought, we should, we should get rid of this guy. We should, we should do away with him. We should find a time to kill him. But now they start to say, how is it that we can find a way to make sure that this man is no longer alive? The intensity is so heightened that that a lot of people don't think that Jesus is going to show up in, in Jerusalem. And there's a reason that he was headed to Jerusalem besides to die for the sins of the world. It was Passover time. And this is one of the three big festivals that the Jewish people had. It goes way back to the beginning of their nation when God rescued them from the oppression of the Egyptians. And so the people are coming like crazy to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover believed that the city would go from a population of about 50,000 to a population of about 125,000 during the Passover festival. That's a very big difference, right? And so there's tons of people, literally tons of people in this city, but they're wondering. The big question is, the big gossip, the big drama, is Jesus going to come even though he knows that the religious leaders are looking for a way to kill him? If you were to look in the book of John, chapter 11, it says this, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? And so Jesus must have been a little late. That's the impression that I get coming to the Passover. And the people are going, is he going to show up despite the fact that these religious leaders want to kill him? We pick up the story in, in verse 4, and it answers a, a very big question if you were paying attention to verses 1 through 3. What's the deal with the donkey? Right? I mean, why a donkey? I would have picked a horse, personally. Um, in our modern day culture, I would have found the biggest, coolest car that I, that I could have found. It would have cost $300,000, and I would have been driving that thing in if I knew people were waiting for me. That's what I would have done. But why the donkey? And the, and the question is answered in, in verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt, the full of a donkey. This goes all the way back to Zechariah 9.9, a prophecy in the Old Testament that was spoken about 500 years earlier. In Zechariah 9.9, you see almost the exact same words that you read here. And the thing is, when Jesus shows up on the donkey, when he tells his disciples to go and get the donkey even, he is saying, I am the king that you have looked for for the last 500 years and beyond. Jesus is saying, 
I am the king of the Jewish people. I am the one that they are looking for. If you were to go back to Zechariah and you read about this king, it's a king that is mighty and strong and is going to punish the people who are oppressing the Jews. It's something that they desperately longed for because of this Roman oppression. They thought, man, when this king gets here, this one who is going to ride on a donkey, when he gets here, everything will be set right. We will be saved from the oppression and the punishment that we are under because of the things that we have done against God, the sins that we have committed. So when Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I want you to go get a donkey. I want you to go get a donkey and a young donkey, and I'm going to ride in on that donkey. What he is saying is, I am the king that these people are looking forward to. You see, the separation isn't there in Jesus' mind. He knows he's riding into Jerusalem to die for their sins, but he also is saying, I am the king who is going to save them. If you were to go back to 1 Kings 13, you would see a story about David and his son. Now David, if you don't know him, is is one of the great figures of the Bible. David is uh, one of the Israelite kings, and he was a king very early on in, in their nation, and he was the king who, who reigned the, the best and, and with the most success. The, the, uh, the wealth of the kingdom at that time, the time of David, was beyond any that it would really ever see in its history. And David also led the people back into a good relationship with God. So both physically and, and the material possessions of the world and in the spiritual realm, David raised the kingdom of Israel to its highest heights. And so when God had David as his king, he promised David, and he said, Hey, David, you will always have a king reign on your throne. Forevermore there will be a king that is one of your ancestors that will reign over your people. Now, as time went on, that promise, God, God explained it to the Israelite people, and he said that is going to come in the form of one person who will reign forevermore. But if you go all the way back to the beginning of that promise, 1 Kings 13, you see David coronating his own son, his own flesh and blood. And the request that he makes about that coronation is that his son, whose name was Solomon, would come in on a donkey. That he would ride into town on a donkey. And so when Jesus says, hey, I need you to go get me a donkey, he is, in everybody's mind, raising the thought of David and the one who would sit on David's throne forevermore. The story picks up in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, two things here that, that you really need to pay attention to. First of all, the disciples are, are see what is going on here. I mean, they are not blind to the situation. Jesus just asked us for a donkey, and we know that, that the donkey is going to usher in the kingdom. And so they placed their cloaks over this donkey because you can't have the king riding on the back of a donkey without any type of saddle underneath. And so they take out their outer garment, that's what a cloak was, be like a coat for us, and they place it over the donkey for Jesus to ride in on. Now the other part of this is the part that we're more familiar with and the part that we really celebrate on Palm Sunday. The people, and it says a lot of people, and when I've pictured Palm Sunday in my, in my life, what I've thought of is hundreds of people. 
In fact, sometimes I just picture the size of the church I'm in. So less than 100 people here. But but the experts, not me, the experts think that we're talking tens of thousands of people. Just picture the scene. we got tens of thousands of people waiting for Jesus to enter into this city. We're talking like a sports stadium amount of people are waiting for Jesus. And they start to throw their cloaks and the palm branches down in front of the donkey. And so we must ask, what is going on here? Well, first of all, the cloaks are, are a way of submitting to a kingly reign. If you were to go back to King, first, Second Kings 9.13, you would see a guy named Jehu who is about to be king. And in his coronation, they start to lay down the cloaks in front of him. Again, these people are declaring that Jesus is their king. It's very symbolic when you lay your cloak in front of, a cloak in front of somebody. Basically, what you're saying is, I'm willing to be trampled over by you. I am willing to submit myself to you, to put you into power, and to put my well-being and my future in your hands as my king. And so when they put the cloaks in front of them, they are saying quite loud and quite, quite clearly, you are the king that we have been waiting for. You are the Messiah. As simple as that. Now, a lot of these people will turn on Jesus because they'll stop thinking that he was the Messiah. But as you look back at history, you have to recognize, you have to admit, every person has to admit that at least in these people's minds, Jesus had done enough to show himself to be the king that they were looking forward to. Now, the palm branches are pretty similar, right? Uh, Both of these are kind of like laying out the red carpet, to say it in our terms. And the palm branches, again, symbolize that they are recognizing him as king. But they have a slight nuance. If you're to go back in between the Old and the New Testament and read some of the stories from that time period, you would encounter a group of people called the Maccabees. Uh, Judas Maccabeus, Joseph Maccabeus, these are our brothers, and they did something pretty special in the history of Israel. They were able to restore Jerusalem. They were able to kick out the Romans and restore the temple. If I'm ever going to make a movie, it's going to be about Joseph Maccabeus. Some of you have heard me say that before, but they did some crazy stuff. Like one time they didn't have enough weapons to go into battle. But they went into battle anyway, and they were able to win the battle. And, and the reason, one of the reasons that Hanukkah is celebrated at the time of year it is, is because on December 25th, Joseph Maccabeus marches into the temple and kicks out the Romans. And, and that's one of the reasons that we probably celebrate Christmas on that same day, because we just continue to have that as one of our special days. And so these guys were awesome. And, and after one of their big battles when they had set things right for the Israelite people, when they were coming back, the people, in order to lay out the red carpet for them, put palm branches at their feet for them to walk back into town. And so when we see it here on the celebration of Palm Sunday, what what the people are saying is we recognize that you are the restorer of good in our nation. We recognize that you are going to do something great. And we want to celebrate that and respect you for that. So the palm branches symbolize the kingship of Jesus, but they also symbolize the victory that Jesus is going to bring and the fact that these people were celebrating that victory and the coming of the one that they had for 500 plus years looked forward to in the person of Jesus. 
Now, as the story moves, the people say something that, that is even, even furthers this idea of, of Jesus as their king. In verse 9, we see that the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So the big question, my mind, is what does Hosanna mean? It's one of those words that, that we sing in church, right? Uh, we're probably familiar with it if we've been around church. We've probably said it before. But, but perhaps, if you're like me, you don't really have an understanding of what the word means, unless you remember it from a different Palm Sunday service. And, and so we look to the Greek and we find that it's not a Greek word. It's actually a, a word that was left from Hebrew and gets put into the Greek Bible as a Hebrew word. And so you go back and you look it up in the Hebrew, and you would expect, because it's such a common word in our church, for it to be a really common word in the Bible, wouldn't you? But it's not. It's only used one time in Psalm 118, verse 25, and there the meaning is simply this, save, please, with an exclamation point at the end. Save, please, like that. That's all it means is save, please. But here's what happens. If you were to look right after that in Psalm 18, 125, the very next thing that is said is, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the psalmist's prayer seems to be almost answered immediately. Save me, please. Blessed is the one who has come to save me. And so as the years went on, this word kept being used, but it went from being a cry of help to a cry of celebration. Instead of being a cry of, save me please, it started to mean, salvation has come. And so, when they cry out, salvation, uh, Hosanna, son of David, they mean salvation from the son of David. Salvation is from the son of David. The people are looking at Jesus and they're saying, you are the king who is here to save us. They're crying it out. They're not saying, hey, please save me, Jesus. They're saying, you are here for salvation and we recognize that in you. It's a cry of excitement because they know that their Savior has come upon the world. They know that their God, the representation of their God is amongst them and He has come to set things right for them. Now here's the thing for me. If I was Jesus, and I knew what would happen on Good Friday, that most of these people that were crying this thing out to me were going to turn their backs on me. My disciples were going to run away, act like they didn't know me, say that they didn't know me. The crowds who were, who were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, were going to cry out, crucify Him, crucify Him. If I knew that, if I knew the contrast between those two moments, then I would have been tempted to tell them to go away. To say, hey, shut up. You guys are, are, are saying things that you don't really mean because you don't understand what my kingdom is about. That would have been my temptation. And in fact, looking at the story in the book of Matthew, I'm really surprised and slightly annoyed that Jesus didn't do this. If you went over to Luke 19.40, though, you see that this wasn't Jesus' attitude at all. In fact, it was the opposite. The Pharisees said, hey, do you hear what they're saying to you? Do you hear what these people are saying to you? They are saying that you are the coming king who is here to save us. 
And then they say, hey, be quiet. Tell them to be quiet. Tell them to stop saying these things. And this is Jesus' response in Luke 19.40. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus didn't care that there was going to be a contrast in their attitudes because he saw this as a linear event. He recognized that his kingdom was not the kingdom that they wanted, that he wasn't going to start a military takeover of the Romans, but he knew that they were accurate in the things that they were saying. He knew that he was their king who was coming to save them. He knew that when he died on a cross, he knew that when he was brutally beaten and tortured and mocked, that that was all part of the same thing that they were saying. That he was their king who would come to save them. He didn't say, well, today I'm the king and tomorrow I'm the savior. He said, I am the savior because I am the king and I can lay down my life to save them from their sins. I think we have a tendency to view Jesus in one of two ways in our world today. Some of us view Jesus as this king who sits in heaven and reigns. Some of us view Jesus as this suffering savior who just sat there and and passively took the punishment that the people laid upon him unjustly. But Jesus was all of that and had to be all of that. It wasn't some different guy who died a few days later. It was the king of the world who had come to save his people. And what Jesus understood is that he could save the people because he was the king. And so he accepted their praise knowing that they were fully accurate. What's really amazing is that not only that week were these things true, In Revelation 7, John, one of Jesus' disciples, is seeing a vision and he gets a picture of heaven. And there we see something very similar. It says, After this I looked, it's John speaking, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. You notice? They're holding their cloaks and they have palm branches in their hands. And they cry out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Jesus knew that the celebration of who He was as the King and Savior started there on that Palm Sunday. It went right through Good Friday. It had to happen that way. He had to die for our sins in order to keep that celebration going. He had to resurrect on a day we celebrate as Easter to keep that celebration going. But now we know that it will be there forevermore. And so the question for us is, The question for you and I is, are we going to recognize Jesus as our King and our Savior now? We know that they did it in the past, on that Palm Sunday. We know that Christians will do it forevermore. In fact, the whole world will fall down and cry out that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They may not get that salvation if they don't accept the gift that He has offered, but they will recognize it. And so the question for you and I is, Will we celebrate it now? Will we live lives that say, this Jesus is my King and my Savior? He is the one who has come to set things right. 
Maybe not my everyday life. Maybe everything is not perfect. Maybe Jesus isn't giving you everything that you want, but perhaps, perhaps what he is offering you is better like it was for those people. They wanted a military takeover that would last for the rest of their lives, and he gave them a spiritual renewal that will last for eternity. And so will you celebrate Jesus in that way? I'm going to say a prayer for us, and we're going to sing some songs, and and my hope is that you will be a person who celebrates Jesus in that way, and we'll celebrate through these songs today, but, but not just here at church, not just when we sing these songs, but when you leave here, celebrate Jesus as your King and your Savior, because that is who He is. That was who He was every single day of His life, and that is who He is forevermore. Please stand with me. Lord, Thank you that that there was no contrast, God. Some people would love to claim that you made a mistake going into Jerusalem, that it cost you your life, Lord, but you went there because you were the king who had come to set things right. Lord, I thank you that you have set things right in my heart, that you have forgiven me for my sins and cleansed me from my sins because of, of your death on that cross as my king. And Lord, I pray that for every person in this room that you would set things right in their hearts, Lord, and they would allow for that to happen, recognizing you as their King and their Savior, Lord. It's easy for us, Lord, because I don't know if it's because we're Americans or people or whatever, but but we love to to just swing on pendulums, God. And we end up as far away from from our beliefs as we can after we've swung the other direction, Lord. But, But for us who call ourselves Christians, Lord, let us see you every day as the one who saves us, yes, but also the one who rules over us and the one who we should be dropping our cloaks, metaphorically, God, in front of every day, Lord. Help us to be a people that serve you knowing that you are a king, but help us to be a people who love you and are excited about you, God, knowing that you are also our Savior. Lord, we love you and we thank you for entering in Jerusalem, God, 2,000 and however many years ago. God, you could have stayed outside that city but you didn't because you loved us and you wanted a relationship with us. And we thank you for that. In your holy name, amen.